Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. Kevin Harrington is the inventor of the infomercial, one of the original sharks from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and has generated over $5 billion in TV and digital direct response sales. Seth Green is the world's first trusted authority on cutting-edge direct response marketing, a best-selling author, and the only three-time Marketer of the Year nominee. On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview sharkpreneurs who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business. Why do so many businesses struggle while others seem to explode overnight? Do you wish you had the secret to this type of exponential growth? Now, I've scaled more than 20 businesses to over $100 million, and it's not just luck. In my new book with Mark Tim, Mentor to Millions, you'll learn the repeatable framework I use in all my business ventures for massive success. Order at KevinMentor.com and get over $1,000 in bonuses. Head to KevinMentor.com. Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast. This is your co-host, Seth Green. You had the good fortune to be joined by Daryl Amy, best-selling author, international best-selling author of Revenue Growth Engine. He is a growth architect helping great people and great companies grow. His mission is to help 10,000 great companies double their revenue so they can make a world a better place. RevenueGrowthEngine.net. Daryl, thank you so much for joining us. Seth, it's great to be here. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah, so I've got like all these pages, dog-eared, highlighted. I don't think people should read this book. I think they should implement this book. So let's go back in time a little bit because I know you haven't always been a revenue growth expert. How did you get started? Well, I, you know, straight out of college, uh, had a marketing degree in my hip pocket, but I wanted to get a fast start. So I accepted a job in technology sales up and down the street in the market, hardcore. Uh, back then it was office equipment sales. During that time, I really fell in love with sales. I got involved in um, sales leadership, um, started training and developing reps. I was a regional um manager for a technology company. And during that time, I got the vision for actually starting a sales training company. So I did that. We started in 2004, sales training, teaching uh, sales reps how to have conversations with business owners about things they care about, that real business acumen. And as fate would have it, my very first client said, hey, Daryl, everything you taught our sales team is fantastic, but our website doesn't say anything about it. Do you build websites? To which my answer, being my first client, was yes, sir. We build yeah, websites. Yeah, I'll figure that out right now. And I'd actually built one for a nonprofit and and uh, all of that. But I uh, I dusted off my marketing degree, and in 2004, found myself as the owner of a marketing agency as well. And so now, for the last 18 years, I've had a foot in both the sales and the marketing world working um, in both both areas simultaneously. And it's been a lot of fun, but all of it is aimed at, hey, how can we accelerate the growth of our business, which, you know, right now, this is a time when we absolutely have to accelerate growth. You are absolutely right. All right. So we're going to dive right in. You say there are only two ways to grow revenue. What are those two ways? Well, if you boil it all down to its most basic level, you know, we can get really complicated. Well, there's a lot of shiny objects in the marketing world. There are. There's a lot of cool stuff going on in sales and sa- sales enablement, not to mention, you know, the whole virtual selling thing. And you know, we can get really distracted with that. But the goal is to grow revenue. And there's only two ways to grow revenue. And it's actually really simple, but very profound. 
Number one, we get more net new clients. We get more logos. We bring in new business. The other way, though, is also to cross-sell more to our current clients. And what I found out is most companies uh, are usually good at one or the other. They're usually really good at getting net new, or they're good at managing their client relationships and maximizing wallet share. What I've also discovered, and this is a simple math problem, is if you can get both going at the same time, you can create exponential revenue growth. And this is yeah, where things let's get dive really exciting. Into that because you're talking about the eighth wonder of the world, according to Albert Einstein, compound interest, but you took <laughs> it to right. a new level of compound growth. So what is an example of that? If I move the, this number by X percent, like tell us how that works. Well, let's let's look at linear growth first. If you're, you know, if if your definition of growing your business is getting only net new customers, then you're linear. If you grow 10% year over year, you know, that's what you're going to grow. And by the way, the investment world has this cool thing called the rule of 72, right? If you take the number 72 and divide it by the return on investment, you'll see how many years it takes to double your money. We'll do the same thing with your business. Take the rule 72, if you're growing 10% year over year, it's going to take you 72 divided by 10%, 7.2 years to double your business. That's all right, but I want to grow faster. And I would say right now, especially since a lot of companies you know, took a big hit in 2020, 2021 is a make or break year. We have to grow faster. So here's the deal. And, and this is where it's cool. If I grow 10% net new and I also grow 10% in my cross-sell revenue, which we measure as revenue per client. Um, you know, and I grow that client base. If you've got a thousand clients, you grow it to 1100 clients. If you if your revenue per year is $10,000, you grow it 10% to 11,000 per year. If you do both those simultaneously, the math works out to doubling revenue in just over three years. In fact, um, if you want a spreadsheet to help make the math easier, I've put a simple spreadsheet together on our website. You can text revenue to 21,000 and it's the first thing in our toolkit. And what, what you discover is that by making sure that you've got the systems and processes in place to drive net new and cross-sell revenue simultaneously, you're going to set your company up to accelerate revenue growth. Awesome. Now, there are, uh, what is, so you got a fantastic, easy to understand diagram in the book, throughout the book describing what a revenue growth engine is and mm -hmm. all of the elements. I don't want you to give away all the secret sauce. I want people to go get <laughs> the book. However, what do you think out of, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 or 15 elements to yes. a revenue growth engine. If you had a new client and said, I can only focus on three, what would those three be? What would be the one, the 80, 20 rule? What are the ones that move the needle the most? Well, I love the 80-20 rule, by the way, and so much of what the first thing I want to talk about is actually based on the 80-20 rule, and that is focusing on your ideal clients. You know, if you look and good old Vilfredo Pareto in the 1800s figured out that, you know, the 80-20 yep. rule was in full effect, it's in full effect in your business, if you, and it's also in full effect in your marketplace in terms of your prospects, Look at your look at your list of clients, and I guarantee you, I've seen this industry across multiple industries, multiple states, multiple countries. It, it's true. Twenty percent of your clients are driving eighty percent of your revenue. They are typically, or at least, they're either driving eighty percent of your their, your revenue, or they could or should be. In that, an ideal client is somebody that can purchase everything that you sell. 
And, you know, if you look across your whole portfolio of products, services, solutions, an ideal client is going to be the type of client that can buy everything that you sell. And on top of that, you know, some psychographics, they like what you do, they respect you, they, you know, they give you references, they pay their bills on time. By focusing on these ideal clients, here's the exercise I will want, uh, want to challenge every listener to go through. Think of your top three favorite clients. Then ask yourself, if they bought everything they could buy from our business over the next decade, over the next 10 years, what would that client be worth? And add it up, you know, add it up. Every product, service, solution, all the things, if they were all in full meal deal, what would they buy? Now you know the value of that client. You can actually move the decimal place over one and find the annual value of an all-in, 100% sold ideal client. Next thing to do, take a look at your average clients, your bread and butter clients, your up and down the street customers that you just can't bear to let go of. And do that same exercise in the hopes that they might actually stay with you for 10 years, but they probably won't because they're price shoppers. But in the hopes that they will, add that up as well. And what I found, Seth, over and over across multiple industries is your ideal clients are worth 20 to 30 times the revenue of an average client. So want to grow faster? Figure out who your ideal clients are and build the marketing and sales systems to go after them. So that would be the first thing I'd say in terms of you know low-hanging fruit, got to do this, um, and, and get, get going on this ideal client profile and understand who these people are, what makes them tick. The second thing then is to focus your message around those ideal clients. So, you know, one of my favorite, one of my favorite stories and favorite all-time authors in the marketing space is a guy named Theodore Levitt. Theodore Levitt's widely respected as the father of modern marketing. And he would walk into his Harvard Business School class on day one, and he would hold up an electric drill bit, which is near and dear to my heart, because when I'm not helping companies grow, I'm actually building stuff in my shop. So he holds up the drill bit and he says, nobody in the history of Lowe's, Home Depot, or insert hardware store here has ever gone to the store to buy a drill bit. What they went to buy was a hole. And uh, good old, uh, good old uh, Seth Green or Seth Godin, sorry, uh, Freudian slip there. Pretty close. Yeah, no doubt. Good old Seth Godin would take it a step further and go, hey, they weren't buying a hole. They were buying the ability to hang something on the wall so they'd look good to their friends. Uh, To which Donald Miller would say, well, we're all cavemen inside. We're afraid of dying. And so we need friends to survive. So really, they bought the drill bit because they didn't want to die. Well, whatever that is, whether they want to, look good to their friends, need a hole in the wall, or are afraid of dying. The point of this is buyers don't buy products. They buy the outcomes those products deliver. So if you want to reach your ideal client, guess what? Stop talking about your products. Stop leading with your products and services. Start leading with the outcomes your ideal clients want. How do you discover those? Well, you could read a marketing book. You could put a bunch of corporate buzzwords together. But I find the best way to discover that is pick up the phone and talk to them. <laughs> ask, ask your ideal clients, what's going on in your business? Write a case study, um, you know, talk to them and they will feed back to you the outcomes, the goals, the challenges that um, are top of mind to them. And then you can make sure that all of your marketing messaging, all of your sales messaging leads with outcomes. And that right there is gonna dramatically improve the success rate of mo- most organizations. 
Absolutely. Now you say in the book that a lot of professional sales folks don't get the results they want because their proposals are just simply boring. What's wrong with the way we're proposing to do business now? And what are some ways we can fix it? Well, I, it goes right back to outcomes, right? So remember your buyers of most proposals are product centric. Um, what they should be is problem centric. So instead of, of saying, hey, you know, here's the latest, greatest, uh, you know, product and it's wonderful and we're awesome and we're better than everybody else, which by the way, no one believes you that we're living a post trust world. That was the word of the year for 2018. No one believes you. Uh, but what they will, what will resonate is if your proposals begin with a clear explanation and understanding of either the problem they have or the goal they want to achieve the outcomes, right? And then clearly communicate how your recommendation can help them get those outcomes better and faster and validate that with real world testimonials, case studies, some proof from um, your current clients saying great things about you. And then don't end on the price. This is, this is what I always, this is my big pet peeve for proposals. Because I've, I've sat across the desk from many people and flipped through the proposal. And what's the last page of every proposal? Price. The price, right? It's the big bomb. And by the way, what does every prospect immediately when they get a proposal flip through to or scroll to? The end to get a price. The last page, they can get the price. So I don't like ending on the price. <laughs> I think that's kind of just rude. You know, the, the investment amount. And by the way, when you do show the price, you need to also show the return on investment, the tangible and intangible benefits are going to get from acting, the last page of your proposal should always be a statement of work or a project plan or rollout plan. Because when I'm presenting that to a client, I want to, since I understand their problem and have a real solution to their problem, I want to assume, and they've got an agreement along the way, I want to assume that the next thing to do is present to them the implementation plan. So I like to, uh, yeah, definitely put the price along with the ROI and intangible benefits, but then go straight into an implementation plan. And throughout that implementation plan, once again, focus on how it's going to help them meet their, the, the, get the outcomes that they want. That's awesome. I think we need to revise our proposals. When you are coaching team, sales teams that are selling business to business at a high level, are you having them, are their proposals on a Word doc? Is this a PowerPoint? Well, how are they delivering them? Yeah, that's a great question. There's a lot of amazing technology right now to deliver proposals. And, um, you know, I, I highly recommend well, a couple of things. First of all, we know you know, Challenger customer research about 10 years ago revealed that on average, there's 6.8 decision makers in the average B2B transaction, right? 6.8 decision makers. I actually was on a uh, Power Lunch Live last week quoted that and Brent Adamson chimed in and he goes, uh, there's actually 12 now. So there, the point is, A, it's cool when Brent Adamson chimes in on your yes. uh, live Facebook. But second of all, the point is there are a lot of people that are looking at that proposal. Some you may have met during the sales process, others you may not have. So um, you need to be able to have something that stands on its own and you need to be able to understand how it's getting shared throughout the organization. I really like some of the new um, proposal presentation and in electronic signature platforms that allow me to be able to see how that's getting interacted with as it gets passed around the organization. And so there's a bunch of them out there. I mean, some of our clients use DocuSign, we use PandaDoc. It's a really cool way to 
make it not only easy to sign, but also just to see how people are interacting with it. And I think that that's very valuable. And, and inside that world now, um, we're also seeing proposals delivered with video. So it's not just an email, but I like to actually take uh, you know a, a video um, using like a bomb bomb or, or a similar product where I'm going through and actually presenting that proposal to them on video in a screen grab. And, and, and what's happening now is as that gets passed through the organization as well, it's not just the document that's getting shared, but they're also seeing my face and they're hearing, um, you know, the, the, the reasoning and the, the benefits behind all of it and how it's going to help them hit their outcomes. Absolutely. I think that makes a lot of sense. You've got something in here that I, I absolutely loved. What is the decision maker survival kit? <laughs> well, this was an idea we came up with based on this number of multiple decision makers and influencers in the B2B space. And the reality is, you know, even pre-pandemic when we, you know, could go face to face, the reality is with 11 12 uh, decision makers, there's no way you're going to meet all of them face to face. It's just impractical, right? So um, so what we recommend is putting together a decision maker survival kit. In other words, coming up with a strategic way that you can actually share um, collateral case studies, maybe in some swag, something that you can give and deliver to the various decision makers and influencers inside that buying cycle. And, and, you know, all 12 of those people don't come to the table with the exact same needs. You know, the, the um, financial decision maker is thinking something different than the technical decision maker, um, which who's thinking something different than the operations and the end user. So think about all the different people, the different personas that are involved in a transaction and go, okay, what type of questions do they have? tip of the hat to Marcus Sheridan, right? And, and they ask you answer. What types of questions do they have? What, what, um, what are the outcomes that they value? And could we put something together that we could deliver to them digitally or even physically um, that would answer those questions, build credibility, and uh, make sure that, you know, <laughs> there's nothing worse than coming. We've all been there in sales, right? Where you show up to the closing appointment and somebody's in the room that you've never right. met First before. Says, can you just recap everything you yeah, talked can you about? Read, yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, and and you can see in their eyes, by the way, I hate you. You know, you just like, um, you know, all of that. And, and that's not a good place to be, but we've all been there. So how can we mitigate some of that by understanding who's on the buying team and then maybe proactively even sending something tangible and physical out to them? It doesn't always have to be digital. And, um, you know, there's some creative ways there that we're seeing organizations do that, um, even in the tech space. So, uh, yeah, decision maker survival kit. I mean, if you think about in the, in the B2B space, when somebody's making a decision, there's risk involved, right? There's risk on the business side. What if it's a bad thing for the business, but the real risk is what if it's a bad thing for me? Like, what if I make a decision or I raise my hand and vote yes on a decision and it's a bomb? Like, what does that mean for my career? So you got to understand when people are going into a B2B buying environment, the risks are both business and personal. And anything we can do to, you know, lower buyer resistance, increase buyer acceptance, that's good old Tom Hopkins, you know, 101, um, 
the the more successful we're going to be in winning over the people on that buying team we need to win over. Absolutely. Gerald, your passion is obvious. What do you like best about what you do? I love helping great companies grow. And, you know, I, I was passionate about this before the economic crisis that we're in right now, but realizing as we look into 2020, uh, 2021, that 2021 is a make or break year for most organizations and most salespeople. And, you know, so I'm passionate about helping great companies grow. Um, and in this case, you know, great companies get out of the ditch. And I'm talking about companies that provide meaningful work. They've got a great corporate culture and they're also the type of companies that give back to the community. And I'm involved in several nonprofits and here's the deal, the people that move the needle for nonprofits, generous business owners. So even just for the communities that we live in, not just the economy overall, we need great businesses to grow and grow faster. And that's what lights my fire and gets me up in the morning. Beautiful. Well, we greatly appreciate your time. We know it's valuable. This has been Seth Green with Daryl Amy of Revenue Growth Engine. Daryl, for the folks watching and listening, where is the best place for them to go to get the book? And where is the best place for them to learn more about all things Daryl? Absolutely. Well, uh, of course, you can go to the good folks at Amazon, search for Revenue Growth Engine. I'd love to connect with you, Daryl Amy. You know, it just so happens that there's not that many guys named Daryl with the last name Amy. So you can find me on LinkedIn and the other social platforms. And uh, we've got revenue growth tools and we're growing our toolkit. You can access that by texting the word revenue to 21,000. Just text revenue to 21,000 and we'll give you access to our free toolkit. Awesome. Again, Seth Green and Daryl. Amy, Daryl, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you, Seth. Do you need money to fund your idea, product, or service? Are you ready to take your business to the next level but need capital to get it done? Kevin Harrington has heard more than 50,000 pitches and knows how to help you make the perfect pitch to get the funding for your entrepreneurial dream. He's distilled the process down in his perfect pitch cheat sheet, and it's yours for free. Just text PITCH to him right now at 727-888-2100. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 right now and claim your free perfect pitch cheat sheet. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 to start funding your dream today. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.